Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Uh, welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, events on the world stage seem to be moving even quicker than normally. Uh, Ukraine, Russia, Putin, the Wagner Group, uh, President Xi's reaction to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, uh, Tony Blinken's uh, fairly catastrophic visit to uh, China recently, anyway, and Taiwan, of course. All these events seem to be moving together. And to understand what's going on, I've, I've asked Stephen Bryan, who's my favorite go-to guy to underst understand what's happening on the world stage. Uh, Brian, uh, Stephen is a senior fellow, as you may recollect, at the Center for Security Policy in the Yorktown Institute. And he has over 50 years experience in the arms trade, national security, international relations. He's probably our leading expert uh, on the arms trade. Uh, Stephen's now writing on Substack with the titles uh, Weapons and Strategy. Great title. I highly recommend you get on the list and subscribe to his show as well as mine. Uh, in any event, Stephen, great, great, to, great to see you again. Uh, where, uh, where in this vast world would you like to start? You know, I think you start with Ukraine because that's the and and the Russia and Russia because that's the active situation. Well, let's go. I mean, what, where, what? So, well, let's do it a little bit on Ukraine to start because okay. I think it's, it's interesting from a military point of view, and it's interesting from a political. There's not a lot of aspects to it. I mean, as you know, there's a kind of it's sometimes called a counteroffensive by the Ukrainians mainly concentrated up to now, mostly in the Zaporizhia area, the southern part of the Donetsk. Uh, but it has uh, also got a big element up at Bakhmut. And uh, it looks like, I mean, at least people are starting to think that the Ukrainians want to take back Bakhmut for political reasons, because they need to go to this NATO meeting in mid-July with some victory. And since they lost Bakhmut and lost it badly, uh, they're trying to recoup that and also show that they can, you know, they can be successful. So they are attacking on the northern and on the southern flanks of the city, trying to press the Russians. It's it's not moved very far, so, for, so at this point, um, the Russians have kind of adapted their strategy. Of course, the Russians at this time are fighting without the Wagner forces, so that's a little bit new. But beyond that, it looks a lot like what you're seeing down in the south in the Zafaritsa area, that kind of battle. How it's going to turn out, I don't know. Who but do we trust? Who do we trust to understand what's going on? I'm, I've been looking in vain for something definitive. And as you pointed out several times, it seems like everything comes out of either the Russian or the Ukrainian disinformation machine. Who do, where do, where that's are you the getting? Trouble. That's the trouble because they're the only two that have any feet on the ground, so to speak, yeah. they can can tell you what they think is happening. There's no independent reporting because there's no independent reporters. So in, in the battle zone. So that means that it's all, you know, kind of guesswork what's happening. One yeah. of the things that does help, which is interesting, is geolocating video. Because when you can geolocate video, you can tell where the forces are. And, and, and that's proven to be very interesting. 
And, and a lot of effort is being made by, you know, different organizations, individuals, experts to geolocate the uh, positioning of the forces, where they've moved from one point to the next, looking at the timelines, looking at all well, that sort of thing. So that's how they're going about it. Um, and that's about the best you can do, because beyond that, you can look at the junk pile after the battles and see whose junk pile it is. It's mostly Ukrainian junk pile at this point. Uh, they've lost a huge amount of armor, both tanks and armored fighting vehicles, infantry fighting vehicles and armored fighting vehicles, all that stuff, uh, mine clearing equipment. They, they've really taken a battering in this offensive, trying to break through. They have not broken through in any meaningful way so far. What do they have left on the shelves to defend themselves? Because we've, you know, we've sent what 130, 150 billion that direction. You know, how where it got spent and who got it and how much of it actually resulted in in, in weapons to fight this war is an interesting conversation. But where are they? Do they have anything left to to, to fight with? I think they still do uh, in terms of hardware. Yeah, the, the main the main problem on the Ukrainian side is manpower. Yeah, seems to me. I mean, are you going to convince a Ukrainian soldier to drive a tank along a road sewed with aerial mines where you know, Kamenov 52 alligator helicopters are shooting at them, where uh, drones are, are, are hitting them, and where they're likely to be killed? Well, I mean, it's well, very hard to convince people to do that. Well, if I remember, you think you mentioned the tanks they've got are not the tanks that have got the best defensive uh, apparatus on them, and they're they're I won't say they're sitting ducks, but they're not exactly uh, protected. No tanks on either side have active protection systems. Um, I think active protection systems would help to some degree. Part of the thing that has emerged in this in this war is that even the most modern tanks like the Leopards are getting chewed up either by this overhead stuff or artillery or by mines that are sewn, aerial dropped mines that they run into and blow up. The, the, they've lost a lot of Leopard tanks, a lot. Um, and that's a big surprise. What about morale on the, on the Ukrainian side? Anybody's guess because yeah. there reports, some reports say they're, they're dispirited and, you know, and it's bad. Some reports say they're, they're hanging in there and they're fighting. I don't know. I, I don't have a view on that because I don't have anything definitive that yeah. I can point to. Well, what? Well, Russia, of course, we've got the Wagner Group situation, and and that that that's been, depending on your view, either entertaining or catastrophic. Uh, what uh, what's your assessment of what happened there? And well, it was a coup. Yeah, uh, it was a coup that was well planned by by Prigozhin and his people. Prigozhin's oh, the guy that runs Wagner. That's right. And Evgeny Prigozhin. And not only that, I mean, he, he amassed the equipment he needed. Uh, he apparently was able to convince people and some people in high positions in Russia not to resist. Um, and he also coordinated with U.S. and British intelligence using the Ukrainian intelligence as the bridge. Budinov, who's the head of Ukrainian intelligence. Uh, and I think what he was looking for was that if he was able to take the defense ministry in Moscow, he would have proclaimed uh, a, a government uh, in Russia and asked for Western support, and he was expecting to get it. 
that hasn't come out very well, but I think that's the case. So, so that was his play. Well, he, you write that, and I, there are a lot I didn't know about this. Maybe most of us didn't know it, but he, he gets a, most of his revenue, the Wagner Group, uh, uh, from extreme corruption, and he launders money for the Central African Republic in gold and diamonds. And he's also uh, made billions of dollars provisioning the Russian army. And uh, it makes him the richest oligarch in Russia. More at or least. less. Yeah, well, he was. At least, at least until maybe last week. Yeah, when, they're uh, starting to close it down. Sure. But uh, Wall Street Journal had a very good report on this the other day that, that basically said this is a big empire that he built up. He's a very clever guy. Um, corrupt, of course, but very clever. And and he had he not only gold and and uh, gold mines and uh, other kinds of uh, uh, natural resources that he was involved in timber, for example, was a big one. Um, but that was from Africa primarily. But in virtually you know in finance and in 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 logistics and supply, and he was being paid by the Russian army to provide provisions for the whole Russian army. He was the man. And then billions and billions of dollars are going into his hands. How much he skimmed off, who knows? That's surprising Putin would let one man have that kind of uh, power. Uh, well, he trusted him. Yeah. That, was, that was the mistake. Um, yeah. and, and he allowed the concentration of power, which, which was way over. You know, with a lot of the other oligarchs, he's cut them down to size. Where where is he now? Is he in, in Belarus? And uh, uh, that's a great question. Uh, we don't know. No one has seen him, so he's supposed to be in Belarus, but whether he is or not, I don't know. Nobody knows. Whether he's even a free man, nobody knows. Whether he's even alive, nobody knows. It's very hard to say at this point. Uh, by the way, he was an excellent propagandist. He ran a huge uh, social media network and internet operation plus. Uh, broadcasting in Russia. All that's been closed down in the last few days. So, uh, you know, he had, he was really the only voice of the Russia of the Russian people on the subject of Ukraine, because the government doesn't say much. So basically, he had the he had the podium and he was using it very effectively. Uh, he's a dangerous fellow, very dangerous fellow, as far as Putin is concerned, and the, and the current regime in Russia, very dangerous. Well, this seems to be the sort of exhibit A that Putin doesn't have the whip hand that I thought he had. I mean, he he seems to have trusted, in this case, really the wrong guy. And where does this leave Putin in terms of his ability to uh, continue as president? We don't know yet. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, we don't know yet because uh, at the moment it looks like he's in control. But you have to be very careful in Russia to say anything that looks like something is really something. You know, it's it's a very tricky place. Um, he has to convince the army to stay loyal. That's his number one job. Oh. His second job is to convince the uh, intelligence services, and there's more than one, to stay loyal. Uh, if he can do that, he wins. But who knows? It's not clear yet. Well, where are our intelligence services in this? Because we've got Newland at, at State, who's been pushing this Really, this has been a regime change war. Their, their, their ultimate aim was to get rid of Putin. Yeah, I think that's right. And But but you've got to wonder about who's going to replace Putin. But that's another question. Well, they didn't wonder. They thought it was going to be Prigozhin. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know. Do you, look, do you, think, do you think the CIA then had a hand in, in this? Uh, 
It's okay. very, I think so, because uh, Bill Burns, the head of the CIA, uh, picked up the phone and called his counterpart in Russia, the, uh, the head of the SVR. Russia has uh, intelligence divided between domestic and so-called domestic and so-called international. FSB is domestic and SVR is international. He called the head of the SVR, which is quite appropriate. That's the guy you call. That's his counterpart. Um, and said, we didn't have anything to do with it. Our hands are clean, our hearts are pure. Somebody said that. Well, and I'm from the CIA, trust me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so the Russians <laughs> said, yeah, well, we know. Yeah, uh, I mean, they They're trying everything they can do. I mean, they've been trying to blow up things in Russia. They've been assassinating people in Russia. It's not just the Ukrainians. Let's face it. This is a combined operation of the West against uh, Russia. And, and, you know, and the Russians have been taking a lot of hits. And they've been, so, but so not enough in, to destabilize it. So, so who's in this force? We've got the United States. We have Britain. I think their Secret Service is very involved. MI six, yes. Um, Poland, I think, is a real, real hand hand in all this. And where are the rest of the countries in NATO, the, the in terms of what they're actually doing to help uh, help shape this war? I I don't know the answer to that actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, no one's all secret yeah. operations are what they are secret. Um, there was an interesting arrest uh, just the other day of a guy uh, trying to uh, blow up the head of uh, the government in Crimea, the Russian guy. I mean, the guy was trying to blow up the, the head of the Crimean government, who was Russian, was a Russian himself, but he was apparently funded by. Ukrainian Secret Service. So it's it's an elaborate effort to undermine uh, what you can't win on the battlefield. Maybe you can win through subversive operations, uh, destabilizing operations to try and bring down the Russian government. I think that's the goal, or at least to cause enough confusion and problems that the Russians kind of pull back and say, this isn't worth it, something like that. But but you mentioned that earlier that the NATO there's a NATO meeting coming up and you've also written about NATO. The original notion was Ukraine joining NATO and that seems to be off the table. They don't have the votes in NATO to do that. But there is another alternative, which is offering Ukraine a security guarantee. Yes, and I think you point out that that could be infinitely more more dangerous than uh, than Ukraine joining NATO. Yeah, let me explain. Uh, the NATO is, a, is a ostensibly a defensive alliance. Uh, it says that you know the members are going to come to the aid of another member if they're attacked. But the, the relevant part of the NATO treaty is called Article 5. And Article 5 requires everyone to agree to do that. In other words, you need a unanimous vote. Um, if you give security guarantees, it's not clear what the, the triggering is for that. Is so Article Five. I'm, I'm going to mean interrupt, but Article Five. I I was characterized by some people I talked to as well. They can invoke Article Article Five, and it'll be like World War One. We've got to go into war to, to you know, to defend. No, I don't them. that way. Okay, so that doesn't. It doesn't. It's not an. It's not an. No, article. actually, you know, it's only revoked once. Uh, invoked. I'm sorry, not revoked. Okay. Maybe, but it was only invoked once, and that was uh, 2001, during 9/11, right. when the U.S. requested. Uh, NATO to act under Article 5, and NATO didn't act. 
so much for that. But you mentioned now that the security guarantees in place. Uh, this may this may uh, support uh, uh, maybe worse. How would it be worse? Well, because it's not clear it's democratic in terms of NATO. In other words, the, it's not. We haven't seen it, so we have. You know, we're only guessing. But we, the, the fact of the matter is, if you give a country a security guarantee, there has to be something to trigger it, right? Uh, and if there's no requirement for a vote, once it's triggered, you're at war. So it, it could get you into a war without the NATO members agreeing to do it. And that's, I worry, I worry about that. I think that's bad news. I don't think we want that. That's not the kind of solution that, that is a good one for Europe or for the United States or for anybody else. It's a very dangerous provision, if that's the case. Again, there's no text, so we're just guessing. But that's what it sounds like. Otherwise, why would you do it? Again, who are leading strategists in the American administration? It seems like we've we've got some competing uh, camps in the administration. There always are. But who's who's leading the charge here? We know it's not uh, Joe Biden. That's me speaking. You don't have to say that. I won't. Uh, who, who's really? Well, I, I think here? the head of the National Security Council, Sullivan, is yeah. is, is certainly. Uh, a key player in this. So is the State Department with, with uh, Victoria Newland. Of course, she's the main driver there. Uh, Blinken, I don't consider very effective about anything. Um, so she's running the show. The Pentagon has been at the leadership level, at the top, top, top leadership level, it has supported the administration's policy. But right below that, I think there's a lot of unhappiness with this because it's, first of all, it's depleting our deterrent. And when you start to deplete your deterrent, you're, you're in trouble. And they, they don't like that. Well, uh, you, you spend a lot of time in the Pentagon and they've yeah. got to be they've got to yeah. be very upset about what we're doing here because we're going to talk in a second about China and Taiwan. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world besides uh, Ukraine. Well, the Pentagon's a bit is in a bit of a mess. I mean, it always is to some degree, but, yeah. but right now it's it's uh, confused, uh, to say the least. Uh, I mean, they're buying weapons they don't need when they should be buying weapons they do need. That kind of thing, which is classical Pentagon spending habits. But but it doesn't matter because all the good stuff's gone to the Ukraine, so it's leaving them with very few tools to defend anything else. Not to mention Taiwan, of course, it's Taiwan. But what about Europe? If you, if you exhaust your munitions in Ukraine, how are you going to defend Europe if a war started? Well, I don't understand how you can do it. It's, it's, a very, it's a very dangerous policy, and I don't think it's been calculated correctly by any of the decision makers in Washington. And that's, well, that's a big problem. That's the sense of my question about who's in charge. I, I don't uh, calculation doesn't seem to be much in evidence here. We just seem to be blindingly moving ahead with well, two ways uh, I mean, unintended consequences. Can I stick my nose on this one? I mean, there's absolutely, two parts, there's please. Two to this thing, let's make some news. <laughs> I don't think we'll do that, but but I mean, on the, on the one hand, there's no strategic planning. Okay, that yeah. has. Uh, that's driving decisions in the U.S. government today. At least that's how it looks to me. Because if there was strategic planning, we would understand how to defend Europe, and we're not doing it. If there was strategic planning, we would be able to defend 
Taiwan in some meaningful way, and we're not doing that either. We're, we're, we're just placating the Chinese and hoping they'll go away. That's not going to work, by the way. So, so that at the strategic level, I think there's a real problem, a big one, a very big problem. Uh, and then at the operational level, we've learning, we're learning lessons from this war that are really negative. Uh, this current battle in this counteroffensive is a NATO plan. It was developed with advanced simulations that were run by NATO, mainly the US and the Brits, to, to figure out how to win against the Russians. With what you know, with, with what we plowed in there, long-range weapons, all that kind of thing, the, the modern tanks, better communications, coordination, all the all the things that we're supposed to be doing today on the modern battlefield, and it has failed so far. I mean, truly failed. So that should almost demand a rethink about how we go about warfare and how we're going to defend our interests. And it hasn't, at least I haven't seen it yet. And it's, it's, that's a real tragedy. You know, people are running around saying we're winning. That doesn't help because we're not. And, 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 and rather than trying to figure out what the, what the problems are, look, if you can't use your armor force to penetrate the other guy's side, you got a problem. And that problem doesn't matter what kind of tank you got, whether it's an Abrams tank or the wonderful Leopard tank, they lost 16 leopards already. In, in that may not sound like a lot, but that's all the leopards that Poland and Portugal have given to to the Ukrainians, plus some from the Germans. So uh, it's not a good situation, and and so you have to figure out how to deal with that kind of threat and what you should be doing. For I'll give just one example. One of the things you can we we, we need much better demining equipment. We don't have it. Uh, we need much better active. We need actually we need active defenses on our tanks. We're not buying it. I mean, there, there's stuff that's just incomprehensible that needs to be fixed. So we've never we haven't fought a war like this in almost forever. I mean, everything we've been doing has been asymmetric. Korea with, would be the last war yeah. with a modern armor kind of. Uh, thing. And what, what, do we have? Do you have a speculation if we did get into a hot? mess with uh, China? Would we be fighting this type of war? Or would no. it be able or would it be uh, something else? It would be different because, okay. you know, you got ocean. Yeah. This is a land war. Well, let's, let's, a land war. let's, let's bring in the other player on the stage, which is China. You know, China, mm -hmm. Xi and Putin have had a lot of meetings and they've been arm in arm. And one of the that one of the outcomes of this, our policy has been to drive China and Russia together. But Xi, I think, would be concerned about Putin not being in charge, and he's, uh, he, he, you know, overtly aligned with with Russia at this point. Where do you do you see them? It looks like they're playing their cards pretty closely, which they always do. But uh, how do you see China Russia evolving here? You know, historically they don't get along. Yeah, I mean, they have the conflict over up at the Yellow River. There's a, there's a lot of territorial issues. There's Political issues. The you have the problem of communism in China, which is dying, if it's not dead already. Uh, all these things, but uh, communist communism in China dying. Yeah, I think the regime's in trouble. I think Xi's in trouble. A lot of trouble. His economy's collapsing. Guided system is failing. 
their banking uh, system is, is in crisis. Uh, that's why it's astonishing. That you don't see you don't see an omnipotent China ready to step up here. Well, uh, this is a dangerous moment because when yeah, I worry, I worry that if they've got all these weaknesses and the demographic demographic issues real, the the real estate uh, over overinvestment is falling apart on them. Uh, you know, they're they're killing all the tech companies with with cracking down on. Uh, you know, getting rid of the entrepreneurs and and all the other restrictions, they're they're beginning to drive out a lot of um, foreign investors, uh, which I'm witnessing firsthand through my window into private equity and venture capital, and and it 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 does look like a hot mess there. But but people, countries that are in that bad of shape, typically like to go to war to to get people not thinking <laughs> yeah, about a, that. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> one of the problems. I'm laughing, but it's not very funny. Well, it isn't, but you know, China can, cannot afford a protracted conflict. Yeah. If it, you know, I'm sure there's a big debate. Look, they they understand the same things we understand. They understand the U.S. is short on stuff. The U.S. has these problems. Um, so the natural instinct is we want to exploit that. You know, I mean, take advantage of the, the American weakness and American confusion, and 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 surely that's what the Chinese National Security Council is talking about. But the, the counter to all that is if they got into a conflict and if it lasts more than two days or three days, they're toast because they're, they're for sure the U.S. and the Europeans, the Europeans will do what we tell them, will impose huge sanctions on China and the Chinese economy will totally collapse. They can't manage that because they're going to have revolution at home. So that's the dilemma they have. It's not that they don't want to. It's, it's can they get away with it in a very short, quick operation? But America look that way to me. But American leadership seems this particular administration seems utterly incapable of taking advantage of the leverage we do have. Which well, is this is administration economic. says what balloon? We hadn't seen any balloon. Hadn't seen any balloon, and and Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln. Blink a no. little, little, little Tony doesn't want to talk about that balloon when he's going over there. That's just, well, it's and, all, you know. who knows. Um, and then, but, and then yeah. no one greets the guy when he gets off his plane. If, if Blinken had any self-respect. Tell that America, story. I tell that story. That, that, that bears repeating. You've got our secretary of state showing up in Beijing. And what happens next? Nobody's there. <laughs> and, then, and when he got out of the plane, he would see that no one was there. And he should have turned around, got back on the plane and said, Let's go home. Yeah. No, because we're being we're being uh, dissed, as they say, and as the kids say, we're being dissed. We don't want to be dissed, so we're out of here. Uh, no, instead he he was trying to give away the farm, and he almost did. Maybe well, you, now, now you got Janet Yellen on an airplane going to. Well, China. she's worse. She's worse. I mean, she. Yeah, but it tells you what they want. I mean, what they want are economic deals with the Chinese at the very well, moment when the Chinese are so vulnerable. And we're going to give them that without getting anything for it. Well, this is off on another one of my uh, areas of, of exploration. They, they want climate deals. They don't want economic deals. And that, that our climate policy is, is bound to bankrupt us. And they think China, they think uh, climate change is by far a bigger worry than, than China is. And so they'll cut any deal they can just to get some... No, I think you're right. A fig leaf to say that China's uh, giving them uh, China uh, concessions. Well, 
we don't need their concessions. But what we don't want to happen is to support their economy at a critical moment and get nothing for it that's real. So the visual. Why not say to the Chinese? I'll give you, for instance, it's easy. Well, the, dear China, you you want our uh, Secretary of Treasury to come over and work out some banking and other arrangements with you? Well, we're interested in that. But by the way, those airplanes flying around Taiwan, send them home. We don't want to see them again. If you want to have this conversation, get those damn airplanes out of there. But Blinken did not do any of that. I mean, you, you I'm just going to quote you. <laughs> And which I love this. He said, Blinken acted like he had no cards whatsoever. And he was a schoolboy. He was like a schoolboy, deeply apologetic for whatever it is that uh, schoolboys apologize for <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> that's quite, and that's what, that's the way it came off. Even the visual of, of Blinken meeting uh, the photos of him with Xi were, were stunning. stunning. And then Xi, and then Xi put it, Xi figuratively put him at the other end of the table. I mean, he he couldn't have been more dishonest. It was a great humiliation, uh, shameful humiliation of the United States. I don't care about Blinken. You know, he's he's an actor on the stage. He'll go away. But he represents the United States. This is the United States. And if this is the best we can do, oy, 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 this is terrible. Uh, you know, you just, great powers have to be great powers. They can't be anything else. And, and Blinken has proven that, yes, you can. <laughs> you can be an idiot. You can go over and, and make a fool of yourself. And it's fine. You, no one cares. Well, they do care. People do care. I care. I'm sure you care, too. I mean, it's, it's the sort of thing that is humiliating to the United States. Kowtowing to the Chinese is not what we should be doing. Well, and we are. And, uh, you know, we talked about Sullivan earlier. He seems to be the only one in the administration that seems to think we ought to have a uh, a tougher line towards them. But, you know, Taiwan is is going to be is 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 in play and they're yes. doing everything they can aggressively. Um, you wrote a piece on why Taiwan's important. You summed it up in three three categories. Uh, uh, the uh, democracy. uh the uh, strategic uh, place it has in the South China Sea and the whole trade zone over there, and then the the economic uh, yeah. issue we face. Taiwan is, a, is a, not only an economic power, but it's a technologically highly advanced economic power. Yeah, and Taiwan Semi or Taiwan Semiconductor is is a is a, nat a national treasure in Taiwan, and and it's hugely and vastly important to our military. Because that's where the artificial intelligence uh, circuits or the integrated circuits are coming from. We don't make them. They're made in Taiwan. They're not made anywhere else because no one has the technology to do it because of the, the very fine um, uh, features of those kinds of semiconductors, nano or you know nano size features. So it's you know we're, what are we doing here? We have reasons to want to defend Taiwan. But by the way, the most important is democracy. Because Taiwan, I've been to Taiwan many times. And I've been through their presidential elections. I actually was one of the presidential election, what do you call inspectors, so to speak, went around and, and, and saw if it was fair. And by the way, it's, they're very fair elections, unlike ours. <laughs> <laughs> they're really fair. They really count the votes. We, we, uh, we. We can't we can't talk about the election or homeland security. We'll we'll ban the video. So that's uh, probably true. You'll end up getting up. 
We can talk about Taiwanese elections, but not our own. But they're, they're, it's a wonderful Feel free to discuss. Vigorous. <laughs> it's a vigorous democracy. It's competitive. There are real political parties. There are really, you know, there's differences of view in Taiwan as there are differences of view in any, any place. And yet they're under tremendous tension. Every day you have the China's most advanced fighter jets circling the island, UAVs flying over, warships nearby, uh, exercises across the strait by the chi Chinese army, preparing for an invasion, this kind of thing, puts tremendous pressure and tension uh, on the people of Taiwan and certainly on the government. Do you, see, do you see anything going on inside China to protect themselves from the technological catastrophe that they'd, they'd have as well if, if, if Taiwan shut down? Because one of the things that, you know, if you look at our lockdowns and the, the shortage we had of semiconductors for consumer things like automobiles, you couldn't get delivery. And that was a very tiny disruption in the supply chain compared to what happened if, if Taiwan did, went dark because of, uh, you know, a hot war there. Uh, well, and China, also China would be equally, if not equally, but massively affected by that as well. well. They have a huge auto industry, but the other thing that would be affected would be Huawei. Huawei yeah. is the telecommunications company that depends on Taiwan Semi. Um, and if Taiwan Semi stopped providing them, they're out of business. They can't do it. So that would be a big blow because that's China's uh, window on spying on the world. That's how they do it. So what, what's what's Xi? I don't think Xi can afford a hot war. So what's Xi's aim with all the ships and the sea lanes and flying uh, fighters over Taiwan and and acting uh, aggressively? That's a good point. Time. Good question. I, I think on one hand, he wants to show he's a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I got teeth. I can do things. I mean, they're building up their military every day. It's unbelievable. The second is he wants to let his military show off because otherwise they may bomb him instead of Taiwan. So, so he has to he has to let them play around as long as they don't yeah. cause a war. Yeah. But you know, you start doing this, and pretty soon you've got an incident that gets out of hand, and you do have a war. We've had that. Remember the Hainan sure. some years ago. No. Uh, by the way, that, that's an interesting, that's something that historians ought to take a look at because uh, I used to tell people that that incident was resolved thanks to General Walmart and Admiral Kmart, who told <laughs> the Chinese, we're not taking your stuff. You're screwing America, so we're not taking your stuff. Yeah. At that time, they controlled the market. So the Chinese had to bend because they had nowhere to go. Um, but again, I mean, uh, they're flirting with they're flirting with an incident with a clash. Some airplane shoots down another airplane, or even if a Chinese bomber would crash on Taiwanese territory, can you imagine what that's going to unleash? Sure. Um, I mean, they're they're just because they're flying very close to the to the island. Um, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that this is a very risky game. Yeah. Very dangerous. So we've we've got to we got to get out of here, but I've for today, but you're going to be back because I'm sure events will serve up all sorts of uh, new new things to worry about. That brings me to my last question. Of all the things you cover, and you cover a lot of what's going on, what are you most worried about? Uh, right now, what I'm most worried about is a nuclear incident in, in Ukraine. Uh, it is, you know, the Ukrainians have been putting out a lot of 
phony information that the Russians are going to blow up the huge uh, atomic power plant at Zafaritsa, uh, Energom, Energatom, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and the Russians say that's nonsense. We're not going to do that. But I'm, you know, I, Ukraine is in trouble. Let's be honest. They're in trouble. They can't keep this war going very much longer. And, and so they may do something stupid like that. And I know the U.S. is worried about it, too. And rightly so. Because so, the, so the worry is what Zelensky would do, backed into a corner. Or somebody. Nothing, 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 nothing to lose. And he can I don't try know that Zelensky something. would do it, but he's got some pretty bad characters who work for him. Okay. Uh, and, and whether they care one way or the other about Zelensky, I think so. Zelensky is largely irrelevant. They'll do it if they want to. Um, and who's going to stop them? Well, that's um, the real. And, and no one can even understand the immensity of, a, of a, an explosion at the Zafirids. It's a huge plant. It's the biggest plant in Europe, I think. Well, it has eight reactors. Well, 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 what sort of brings us back to where you and I got, I first got to know your, you and your, I will say your profound wisdom, which thank you for that. Uh, when this all started, I mean, this, it, it never should have started. And right. the United States should have used its power to, to turn this into some negotiated settlement, which was possible. And we still find ourselves in the same place. It's in our, it's in our national interest to shut this down ASAP. Yeah, well, now we've gone through the regime change uh, kabuki, which seems to have failed. Uh, we've gone through the counteroffensive, which is not succeeding. We have burned up thousands more lives uh, and billions and billions in equipment. Um, would that mean that we're rational? Could we be rational? Uh, I, I don't see a single sign from the US side of anyone thinking about some negotiation. Sad to say, but that's the case. Not a single sign. Have you seen anything? No. 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 And I've been looking in vain. It's not even a campaign issue. I mean, not yet. Well, Trump brings it up. But, but well, Trump does, but he's so, you know, I happen to agree completely with what he's saying, but it, it's if Trump says it, it's uh it, it doesn't it's a get throwaway from yeah. the rest of the country. For the right. writing press, it's a throw and nobody cares. Yeah. So so we come back to the bottom line that no one's promoting any peace initiative, not the Congress, not the administration, not the military, not anybody. And that is a recipe for huge disaster. Look, the, the real game here is we don't want a war in Europe. Nobody could want a war in Europe. We've been through two wars in Europe in the last century. We don't need a third one in this century. And, and we have to find a way to accommodate and work out deals with the Russians that make some sense. I think it's, it's possible. I think the Russians are open to it, or at least they were. They may not be in a good mood at the moment after Prigozhin and all that. Yeah. But, but uh, I think at least try, give it a shot. No, there's nothing. Okay, well, we're we're going to conclude for right now. Um, and thanks, Stephen, for <laughs> well, your 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 wit and wisdom. Um, 
for all of you who've been listening, I know I like to try to come up with a positive line of action. I guess the positive line of action here is simply start talking with people about the need to bring this to an end. I mean, Ukraine uh, or the war in Ukraine and, 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 and lobby everybody you can. We've got to change public opinion and make it matter more because it's certainly in our interest. So with that, uh, thanks for joining the Bill Walton Show. Uh, please uh, hit the subscribe button if you're watching this. And also we're, we welcome your comments on Substack and, and on our website, thebillwaltonshow.com. Uh, we're on our uh, all the major podcast platforms and video plat platforms. And so if you'd write a review uh, of what you've uh, heard and maybe give us a five-star rating if, uh, if you think that's what we deserve, we'd deeply appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to bringing you uh, back uh, some interesting uh, shows uh, quite soon. So anyway, stay tuned and uh, persevere. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.